Hi everyone, I'm Mike Novogratz and this is Next with Nova. I mean, the first thing I want to say is that, hey, thanks for coming on Next with Novo. Uh, no the problem. second thing I want to say is I every time I see with your big smile on your face, <laughs> all five foot 11 inches tall uh, with not the physique of Brock Lesnar, I'm, I just always <laughs> wonder how you could get in the ring and, and smash all those big guys. I'm fearless, man. It's one of the things, Mike, and you know that in wrestling, we uh, had to go into some really intense situations, right? Olympics to my finals is probably the scariest thing that you're ever going to uh, experience outside of wrestling for the gold medal. And I had to go through that and then wrestle for a medal in the Olympic Games. Those are the things that, that make a man scared. Standing across an octagon from another man and, and uh, having to fight, man, to me, that was always just fun. That's just so interesting. Yeah, like, you know, I used to tell a story about I got a lot of silver medals and never any gold medals. Uh, and I'm thinking about you. You, you lost to Kale Sanderson, uh, maybe one of the greatest three wrestlers in American history uh, in the NCAA finals. Uh, you lost to Gatsalov, uh, who's maybe one of the best Russians, at least the top five in his era, uh, you know, in the Olympic semis. Um, so how, what did you learn from losing? You know, honestly, man, I've been – I've been, uh, and, and Mike, you know, I've always said this to people. I said, the story of my career was always that I fought and wrestled against these greats, right? Kale Sanderson to Hajimura Gutsalov to John Jones to Stipe Miocic, right? It was me constantly fighting these and competing against these guys that were all-time legends. Well, here's the issue. Um, they don't just give me those chances. I always earned the right to compete against the absolute best. And sure, I came up short, but it was like, I did things well enough to put myself in position to compete against those greats. And honestly, um, if you fall victim to losing and not accomplishing the things that you want, then that becomes who you are. So you don't lose, you get another chance to learn. I know it might sound a little bit cliche, but you get a chance to learn. And I learned in every single loss from, you know, the Olympic games. Uh, I'm sorry, from the NCAA tournament, going from being an NCAA run up to making two Olympic teams. So I learned from that. Yeah. From being in the Olympics and losing and, and getting fourth place to going and becoming a world champion. I learned from that uh, in mixed martial arts, losing to Jones, learning in that loss to become one of the greatest fighters of all time. So it's not, it's not losing. It's just getting more chances to learn and build and be better from those losses. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I've lost, I've probably lost a lot more than you have in life. Um, and so I've given that speech about learning from losing, but I was thinking about it. Like, so what was your great win when you finally became UFC champ? What did that feel like? Did it feel like vindication, all the hard work, or was it just, you know what? It's another good day at the office. And I'm going to have a big smile on my face. Great. Mike, you know, Having those wins, right? I won 22 times over the course of my career. I only had 25 fights. So uh, winning always felt great, right? Obviously, the money that came along with it. <laughs> it's much different from what we were used to. But it was always great. But I remember when I beat Anthony Johnson, we were driving home because uh, I booked the flights. For some reason, I booked, I booked the flights. I was never good at booking the flights. So... It was Memorial Day weekend. I booked the flights. Me, Selena, and the kids were driving home from Vegas, and we got this new belt. 
And the whole time I just kept thinking to myself, like, like I finally did it, you know, like, but there was always a bit of a, uh, there was always a bit of a underlying uh, question as to whether or not I was the champion because of the Jones thing, right? He was in trouble. So I was getting the belt, but ultimately I was beating who was in front of me and I held that belt for years. But I think it was the Stipe Miocic fight when I became the double champion. That was the one that you just feel like the king of the world, right? Because it was only, nobody had done it before. Like okay. it was me and Conor McGregor. And, and, and he's a big dude. I mean, he's a big dude. He's a big dude. He was bigger the first time we fought, but uh, we, uh, you're the king of the world on that night, Mike. And, and it was just, it was, it was phenomenal. And then to go to New York City as the champion to fight Derek Lewis, headline Madison Square Garden. I mean, I had been there in 2003 for the world championships Yep, and was fifth. So I had, you know, it, it was a, a culmination of an entire career. You know, there's a girl that works at the uh, garden. Her name is Jennifer. Very nice lady. Every time I go now, since I've headlined there, they give me something. They gave me golf balls. I said Madison square last time. But when she walked in uh, to my fight for, with Derek Lewis, Mike, it was, she had a photo and it was says Daniel Cormier. 15 years of Madison Square Garden history. And it was a picture on the left of me wrestling in the world championships in 03. And it was me uh, getting ready to fight in the elevator in uh, Madison Square in 2018. So uh, just, it came full circle, man. And I, I'm lucky. Who'd you fight in Buffalo? I'm trying to remember. I did. I fought Anthony Johnson in Buffalo. Uh, right, right. Yeah, Anthony Johnson. Anthony Johnson. I mean, Buffalo was shit. I'm just gonna be honest with you. Buffalo was shit compared to New York City. Like, I know, but I remember. I remember you forgot your jock strap. And I was with. <laughs> I was with uh, Dave Esposito. Yes. And we drove around New York to the jock strap store and and flew it up to you. And I was like, "You guys bought me. Remember, you guys bought me that jock from New York City." That's what I I'm remembering. No, I had no cup. I had no cup about to go fight for the world championship. And here comes my boys down from New York City with a, with a cup for me to wear. That's so that, crazy. That was fun. I mean, it was fun for us, but it wasn't Madison Square Garden. It was, it was Buffalo. Buffalo shit, though, man. I don't know. I don't know if you ever go to Buffalo. But Buffalo ain't fun. <laughs> yeah, just we just had that one night. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, listen, one of the things you've done really well better than most is transition from fighter to, to second career, to personality, to kind of beloved spokesman. How did that start? Um, There's this guy named Kieran Portley. They used to work at ESPN. He works now down at CBS and he just like, I don't know what it was, Mike. He just had this interest in me as a, as a TV personality. And so I remember I was in Los Angeles once and he was going to have me host a show called MMA. I think it was MMA Live on the SPN. And so I had to go buy a suit. I went and bought this big brown suit <laughs> at Fashion Show Mall or something like that in uh, Los Angeles. Or maybe it was like just that, that road where they make stuff. I buy this big suit. I go up there with my suit, two sizes too big. And then it was, that was kind of the start of it. And that guy, Kieran Portley, continued to press the UFC to give me an opportunity. And then once they gave me an opportunity, I was able to turn it into Fox and then now ESPN. And um, the more time, the more reps I got, the better, right? The better I got at doing it. I always say to people, they even said this to me, you know, a couple weeks ago, he goes, for a guy, first year outside of the octagon, he goes, I don't know if anybody's had a better second part start as you have. And honestly, some of the calls that I'm fielding and the way that this year has started, um, it seems like it's going to be 
uh, even bigger in year number two. So I'm excited, Novo, and I'm pumped about all the things that seem to be on the horizon. Hell, I watched the Super Bowl with Mike Tyson, you know, and that's like, <laughs> like a dream come true for me. You know, I got to ask him every question that I've ever wanted to ask him since I was a kid. How is Tyson these days? He seems to be great. He's doing really well, right? Like his, his weed farm is like the biggest weed farm in the entire country, right? The guy's got a ton of money again. And, but he's like, he's happy, man. Like we made jokes and um, we talked about things that if you talk to Mike Tyson about those things before, Mike Tyson might have punched you in the face. But I think he's in such a great place like in his life now that he just jokes. I mean, he's just, dude, he's, he has this, this air about him that is unmatched by anyone else that I've ever been around. First time I spent that much time with him, Mike, but uh, he, it was, it, I would do anything on TV with Mike Tyson going forward. Yeah, that's some funny. Well, he's about the only other champ, like heavyweight champ, that's as small as you. <laughs> I feel tall. I was like, I was like, wow, Mike Tyson actually makes me feel tall. But Mike was, hey, Mike was stoned out of his mind. He smoked eight blunts over the course of one Super Bowl. That's I was like, what in the hell is going on with Tyson? <laughs> Living his best life, I guess. Living his best <laughs> life. Hey, listen, you got to be happy for the guy. He went through hell. He went uh, through hell. And he talks yeah. He talks openly about it. He, yeah. I was a junkie. I was on drugs. I had lost everything. And he's like, now I'm happy, you know? It's a great. You know, you know, you'd say he's living his best life. I got to tell you, man, you are living your best life. Because the other day, I see you at Super Bowl. You were like one of those young rappers. I see you in New Orleans, and, you know, for Mardi Gras. You with other rappers. I, and then we were talking, me and all the boys, they're like, Mike Novogratz is living every urban kid's dream. <laughs> You're hanging out with all the cool rappers. What is going on? Nova? You know, the hip hop guys like crypto. And yeah. so I, I've met them through a few friends. And uh, listen, I when I think about Black America, right? Uh, hip hop guys are, are very influential. Um, yeah. And part of, you know, wanting to give back is trying to give some just simple financial education. Like we don't educate our kids. We don't educate them, period, but we certainly don't financially educate them. No. And so I've used their platforms a few times to go on and talk to their fan bases. And, and, uh, and it's fun. I've got to know Little Yachty and, you know, <laughs> A Boogie and 2C. I was like, look at this guy guys. right here. Also, you what, you're doing, what you guys are doing at Morgan State, man, that's tremendous. Like, you know, ever since I met you way back in 2008, you guys have had a real desire to help. And it's like really showing now. Well, yeah, um, so let's talk a little bit about wrestling. Uh, so you, well, first talk okay, about wait, wait, before, before, I also saw you at my boy Habib show. Eagle, yes. how was that one? How was that I, one? Met, I met Habib in, in um, Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Uh, and first I met him and that's when we called you. And the next day I saw him again, he said, you know, I could tell you what to get hands on me. You know, he was telling his friend, he's a wrestler. He's this guy was yeah. a wrestler. He wanted yeah, to get yeah. his hands on me. And I actually did want to get my hands on him just to see how <laughs> tough he was. And so then I started pushing him around a little bit. He was funny. I liked him. He, he loves wrestling. He, he Love. loves fighting. He's got a big personality. And so his show he put together, I went to it because he invited me. It was pretty yeah. damn good. It was good. I, I invite only. He told me that he goes, D.C., this guy, Nova Gretz, he goes, this guy loves wrestling. All he talk about wrestling, no dude, he loves it. He's the best. Wrestling's the best. Yeah, I saw I saw Cejudo down there as well. His you and him, I, they're not many two time our two belt champions. Yeah, I know we've done well, right? These wrestlers, wrestlers, yeah. done well. I, I like to tell the story. We were at uh, when Cejudo fought 
um, who's the little guy? Uh, Demetrius Johnson. Demetrius Johnson, the first time. I'm in Las Vegas. I'd won a bunch of money gambling. And I convinced my friend we should take all our money and put it on Zahuda, who was a four to one underdog. <laughs> and I thought it was easy to put a bet on in Vegas. It isn't, especially on the undercards of USC fight. So we had a march for, to, to five different casinos to get our $20,000 bet each. <laughs> so we were going to win $80,000 when Henry wins. And I tried to call you earlier. And when I finally got in touch, we'd already put the bet on. He's like, you said, geez, I hope he didn't bet too much. And I was like, oh, God, <laughs> we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And then, when they, and then when they had the walkout videos, my friend looked at me and he's like, dude, I'm like, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> But I give Henry credit. He came back and beat the guy that second fight. He's a man. He's an absolute winner. And it's yeah. starting to transition into his coaching career, too. Dude's a winner. We would have saved 40000 bucks if uh, we had gotten to you earlier. <laughs> <laughs> so talk about growing up in, in Lafayette. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and, and your life as a kid. I know you lost your parents mm -hmm. uh, at one point. Uh, you know, it wasn't all, you know, flowers and... Uh, no. It was difficult, balloons. right? It was difficult, right? But I think in those, in those, in the journey is where the person's like forged, right? So dealing with the loss of my dad and, and then um, just the hardships of growing up down there was uh, what really formed who you become, right? And obviously um, there are good things about you. There are bad things about you, but um, it allows for you to work hard. Like my dad, my stepdad, who became my dad, my father, uh, taught me hard work, right? And from the moment I learned by watching him have multiple jobs, I learned to work hard and commit myself to something. And hopefully we're passing that same thing on to my children, right? Because my children now don't live the life that I live. They don't deal with the struggles that I dealt with. But I know that in those struggles, I learned a lot of lessons. And I always tell people, growing up in Louisiana was, was hard, right? We didn't have much, but the one thing that you can never have enough of is people that love you. And that's one thing I was surrounded by a ton of love by my family. And, and um, they say it takes a village to raise a champion. And I definitely had a village. Do you still uh, have people down there? Do you still go down? My whole family. My whole family is still down in Lafayette, right? My, my mom is there. Uh, she's older now. My stepdad just passed away uh, in 2019. It was, it was a horrible time for our family. But I think again, the lessons that he taught us stays with us and yeah. you can see it in, in, in all of us. Well, you know, I, got, I bought, built this house or, or bought this house in New Orleans. We're going to have to get you down there for a Louisiana reunion. We'll Are you in New Orleans now? I have, no, I'm, I'm in uh, Jackson hole, Wyoming. Uh, okay. I came out to uh, try to ski, but the, there's not such great snow. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we need to have a little Louisiana. Well, talk, talk about mentors. So you had your, your stepfather who taught mm -hmm. you a lot. Yeah. You, you, you end up, transferred to Oklahoma state with yep. one of the toughest son of a bitches and, and greatest wrestlers, uh, coaching John Smith. Uh, did he have an impact on you? Oh man. So much. Right. I've been lucky, man. You know, even when I made my first world team novel in 2003, I'm in the middle of a two out of three match with Dean Morrison, who is one of the toughest human beings walking God's green earth. I lose match one. I'm the champ. I'm supposed to go. I lose match one. I go back to the back and I'm sulking. I'm ready to lick my wounds and kind of pack it in. Um, this was two months after I lost my, my three month old daughter and I'm, I'm ready to lick my wounds. And I walk to the back of the Fargo Dome Novo and I look up and there's John Smith, Kenny Monday, Kendall Cross, 
and freaking uh, Mark Branch, and they tell me, hey, <laughs> it feels bad right now, but it'll be a lot worse if you don't go get the job done. Ultimately, having those types of people around me is what really motivated me in that moment. And um, it helped me to overcome in that moment. But it's the belief in John Smith as a, as a coach, as a man, and as a mentor that allowed for me to really press forward. And I still talk to him today because there's so much advice from uh, Coach Smith that I can get. He's, he's the best. You know, he still kind of talks to us like we're college kids. So yeah. he'll ask myself <laughs> that. I'm like, All right. I'm like, Coach, I don't have to answer that anymore. But, uh, yeah. I'm the champion of the world. Dude, that's no filter. He's like, He's like, well, how much money do you have? He'll like straight up ask me. He'll start telling me what to do with it. You know, the guy's out of his mind. Well, you know, you're a champion of the world, but he was six times champion of the world. The best. So he, the, best. <laughs> the best. He's still tough. I we we were once down there with a friend of mine who was an all-American wrestler. We were just kidding around. We had been drinking a little bit, and we were in the, the hotel lobby. And I said, Come on, Christina, see if you can take Smith down. And he was kind of half kidding around. Smith fireman's carried him onto the cement floor. <laughs> <laughs> the hotel people came ran over. That, that is, and then he that had the, then he had the elbow in his face. <laughs> that is something that coach would do. <laughs> <laughs> I went out the guy whose name was Dave Persani. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next, what's next? You're 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 happy. You got a you got a beautiful family. Thank uh, you. Yeah, two kids. One's I a got wrestler. Three kids. Me and uh, my, my wife and I had a kid. Uh, uh, Luna is now 18 months. Wow. Yeah, as Selena's about to leave right now to go bring the kids their lunch at school. But Luna's now 18 months. Um, I'm 42, about to be 43 years old uh, next month. And I've got an 18-month, an 11-year-old Daniel today. And I have a 9-year-old uh, daughter named Marquita who is a phenomenal gymnast. So right. I'm happy, man. I'm and happy. You, and I love the fact that you coach a wrestling team. I do. I, I love the sport. The sport, Mike is what gave me everything I have. Because without wrestling, without the lessons that I learned in wrestling, I wouldn't have my education. I wouldn't have this ability to work as hard as I do. There's just so many different things that this sport gives you. And if you can give that back to one kid, two kids, that's why you, that's why you guys do beat the streets, right? Because you know, look at you today. Wrestling is what allows you to have that mentality. Even that, hey, Mike, going into that crypto business, right? It, it's not easy to, try something new when you've had so much success before, but that's a mentality that we have as wrestlers to take on something head on. And now you're one of the biggest voices in the entire market. So it's like, um, this sport has given me so much. So I, you, I, I just love doing it. Being you, lead to, you lead to, to, to fight off the front foot. Absolutely. Off your heels. And that's, you don't I just think wait. It's... You don't just wait and accept, right? You learn to be a fucking warrior and you go forward and you, you, you pressure and you break people and you break down barriers and break down walls. And um, it's just, a, it's, it's a sport, man. It's embedded in this. My son wrestles now. So I'm happy about that. So let, let me ask you a couple of quick questions. I know people want to know who's your favorite fighter out there right now. Who, when you watch, are you just amazed at Francis Ngannou, yeah. Francis Ngannou, the heavyweight champ of the world, because beast. He, 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 he has this thing about him that it's, it's scary. Right. You want the heavyweight champ to be scary. Mike Tyson was scary. That's what made him uh, so special. Francis is scary because he will put your lights out in no time and uh, he can knock anyone silly. So, yeah, Francis is my favorite. Nice. Uh, in your era, greatest of all time, other than you, George St. Pierre, George St. Pierre. He's another one of those guys that um, won two weight classes, 
I'm pretty, you guys were in the garden when he beat Michael Bisping to win yep. his second championship. Um, George St. Pierre, he was the guy that, he was the guy that truly trained, changed the way mixed martial arts was before it was the striker versus the grappler or the grappler versus the kick. George St. Pierre could do everything. So it'll be GSP for me. It's funny. I saw your, your teammate, Johnny Hendricks. Was he a teammate of yours? Or he was after you. Dude, he was, he, I co when I was coaching at Oklahoma state, Johnny was on the team. I, I saw him just pound St. Pierre and in, in Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just pounded him. And then they gave the, they gave the he won the fight. They G- gave the uh, one Johnny won. Yeah, Johnny that was that was the biggest ripoff I ever saw in UFC. And I have to say, I respected Dana White because Dana White went on TV 15 minutes later and said, if we ever get refereeing like this again, we're moving out of Las Vegas. Yeah. And I was, and I was like, Dana White has some in, intuitive genius around UFC. Uh, he's, he's just he's a he's bullish, Mike. He is all things UFC. And that's why this thing goes like that's why the UFC was first back when the pandemic started. That's why, because Dana has this love for this sport that is unmatched by any other commissioner in any sport. So it was so interesting. I invited him to New York city once beat, beat the streets, times square, sat him side by side. And when I was talking about UFC, he was like a PhD times three. Mm-hmm. And then when I was talking about anything else, he could have cared less and didn't know much, even wrestling. He didn't know much, mm-hmm. but around Love fighting, it. He hasn't made a bad move. I mean, I really think he, loves, uh, he the dude loves his shit, man. He loves and lives all things UFC. That's why it's growing. It's like the ESPN signed the UFC for a seven-year deal. Um, a year in there, like, hey, we need more years because it literally has built ESPN Plus. Every place the UFC goes, it's a monster. I mean, when was the last time he turned on FS1? Be honest, Noble. When was the last time he turned on yeah, FS1? Yeah, yeah, right. Right? But Never, I'm telling right. you. Yep. When, when the UFC was there, probably every Saturday, whether you were watching it or not, it was yeah. on the TV because you knew fights were happening. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm starting to have my, all my guys are starting to age out of it a little bit. I got to start meeting some of the new guys. Yeah. You got to start meeting them. Hey, all you got, well, you got a friend in me that can introduce you to about anybody. There we go. There we go. Yeah. So let me ask you one question. I, I had a uh, lunch with, uh, oh God, Ari, uh, Emmanuel. Ari Emmanuel. Yep. And I was asking him, and he was making the claim that since they've taken over, life's getting better for the fighters. Right? There was always a, a pitch that in UFC, the fighters don't get as much as they should. The owners take too much of it. Is that, is it, and you were, you were a champion. So the champions always did pretty well, especially the charismatic ones. Uh, but the, the, yeah, I remember, I remember uh, Hendricks only got paid like $50,000 to fight that championship fight against even something. now though right like some e- even now there's guys that are unhappy with the fight pay and honestly mike like it- it's gonna be that way but you got a guy like israel adesanya who just signed a new contract and he's one of the highest paid guys in the ufc not named habib or conor mcgregor so right. for for you're gonna have some guys that are over the moon happy you're gonna have some guys that are not happy francis Ngannou. He's the heavyweight champion in the world, and he doesn't have a contract because he wants more money. He is going to set the market for what you can make if you aren't Connor or Habib. Or, you know, he will make as much as you can possibly make in the UFC. I never complained about my money because I, I was making a lot of money, and especially as a guy that comes from wrestling. Where when I won the Open, I would get three grand, right? Like, so like, <laughs> That's true. You know, like, they didn't pay so well in wrestling. No, they didn't until you guys came along and they were paying more money. But once we did the Fuel of the Dream, remember walking around New York City, Fuel in the Dream, it was, yeah. it was amazing. But um, just having an ability to make a lot of money is good. But 
as with any other sport. I mean, there's guys in baseball, football making $60 million. They want 100. Yeah. It's always going to be a want for more. And at some point, I believe that the UFC is going to uh, uh, pay guys more. But as the sport continues to grow, I think the contracts will too. Yeah, it, it was amazing. When I met Khabib, he put me on his uh, Instagram, like put a shot in, in, in. And I looked at him. He's got like 40 million followers. 40 million followers, Habib has. And listen, yeah. he had one the night he walked into the octagon to fight Conor McGregor. He left the octagon with 11. That's how amazing. fast he yeah, grew yeah, up. I, I remember we saw you that. I was sitting front row. Uh, I was telling that story. He jumped right at me. And I was <laughs> so amped up, I was going to throw a beer on him. I don't know why. <laughs> And the fight guy was next, happening because there was the a fight, fight was going. And I a fight the, was happening, and you're a wrestler. Like, <laughs> okay, let's do this. <laughs> and a guy grabbed my arm and said, "Don't do that." I was like, "Who are you?" And he was Tony Robbins, the, the giant, <laughs> his bodyguard. And I was like, "Why does Tony Robbins need a bodyguard? He's so a giant." <laughs> that was fun. That was, was fun. fun. All right, last question. What's next? You're just starting um, this career, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's some things on the media side. You know, obviously, I have a. ESPN. We're about to do uh, my contract uh, comes up in the summer. We'll see how much value there is in that. Um, I'm doing this new TV show. Uh, I think Paramount Plus is going to be where it lands. Nice. Uh, it's a massive uh, television series. Obviously, I got my shows. Detail. Uh, detail was what Kobe Bryant uh, made up. I, I want to see. I want to see you in a movie. Well, this you know? is. This, this, I want to see you playing either yourself or someone else in a movie. Well, like, I'll tell you right now, this show that I'm doing, it's it's called Warriors. And I am going to play Bobby Watkins. He's a 45-year-old retired fighter that is going to go back into the ring. So in season one, let's hope that Bobby Watkins finds some success. So there's a season two and three and four. Because in Hollywood, these people are, like, eager to give away their money. So uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, let's hope it works out. But, yeah, man, just a lot of stuff on the media side and, um, some interesting conversations that I'm about to have and then awesome. also a conversation with you about crypto. Awesome. Well, Daniel, listen, I really appreciate you coming on. It's fun talking to you. I'm a huge fan. I'll come cheering you on. Thank we'll get you. together. We're going to bring it to New Orleans with uh, Dave Barry and a few. And uh, yes, the we'll boys get the, get the whole crew back together. Hey, you remember that time we were at the World Team Trials in Missouri? I won seven hundred bucks. Everybody's gambling at this little riverboat casino, and I won. I was <laughs> happy as I've ever been in my entire life. Seven hundred dollars at the riverboat casino. That's it. People don't realize when you're on a good roll or playing draft tech, it's just the joy of winning. <laughs> There's nothing like it. There's, it's like you want to win in a situation when you're not supposed to. So yes. It don't matter. I know I'm not supposed to beat you, but if I get you, man, good night of sleep. I tell you that much. All right. Listen, be well. Thanks a ton. Man, Novo. Thank you, Take my care. brother. I'll talk to you later. Enjoy Jackson. Yeah.